Our passage today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I have got dozens of books in my library about the person and work of Jesus, and somewhat surprising to me this week, As I was studying to prepare to preach on the ascension of Jesus, the ascended Jesus, some of those books didn't even touch the topic. I don't know if it's because these authors have publishers that are pressing them for word counts and minimizing their statements in the same way that you want to press me for allowable minutes for preaching sermons, or if it's just because we find the ascension of Jesus kind of weird in some sort of superhero taking off and floating away in a cloud kind of way. I don't know why we don't talk about it a lot, but we don't. I think the ascension of Jesus might be the most important doctrine that you never think about. Here's how we're going to look at it today. I want us to see three things coming out of the ascension of Christ. I want us to see that the ascension of Jesus gives us, number one, confidence in his kingship. I want us to see, number two, that the ascension of Jesus gives us assurance of our belonging And number three, I want us to see that the ascension of Jesus gives us joy in our participation in his mission. The ascension of Jesus gives us confidence in his kingship, assurance of our belonging in his kingdom, and joy in our participation in his kingdom mission. So let's look at the ascension of Jesus and how that should, and I think does, in fact, give us confidence in his kingship. Just look at the text once again that you just heard read. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, the author of the book of Acts is Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, which is the first book that he's talking about here in verse 1. Luke says that when he talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach, he's talking about what he began to do and teach until he was taken up. That's ascension of Jesus' language. 
Verse 9 in Acts chapter 1 says, When he had said these things, when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so the most obvious question I think that we need to ask right here out the gate is, where did he go? See, the ascension of Jesus was not just Jesus vanishing from their sight in some kind of disappearing act. The ascension of Jesus was the enthronement of Jesus as our eternal king. It was, in effect, his coronation. Uh, If you're a, a royal watcher and you've gone to the UK royal website, it says a coronation is a ceremony marking the formal investiture of a monarch with regal power. I, I wish I could say that with John's accent, John, who preached last week. See, you can actually watch the video of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953. That video is online. And what you'll notice is that at the point where she and the narrator tells you this as you're watching, as she ascends up the stairs to the throne... And then when she sat down on the throne, that's when she received her kingdom. See, she ascended up the stairs to her throne and sat down on the throne, and that is when she received her kingdom. In the ascension of Jesus, he too went up, and then he sat down and took his place. This was the enthronement here where Jesus ascended to take his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of God the Father where Jesus rules and reigns over this world. Jesus now rules from the right hand of the Father enthroned as our King. See, in the incarnation of Jesus, we've got God become man with the purpose of saving the world. In the life of Jesus, we see what true humanity looks like, but at the very same time, we have a revelation given to us of the nature and character of God. Nature and character of God is on full display in the person and work of Jesus through his acts of mercy and compassion and his miraculous power. In the crucifixion of Jesus, we, we see both the immense love of God for his people in that Christ was sent to atone for the sin of his people through his work on the cross, but we also see at the very same time in his crucifixion the severity of what a just punishment for our sin looks like, which Jesus then took upon himself in his death in our place. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see Christ raised from the dead in power and glory, overcoming Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. He's raised to new eternal life. But listen to me, hear me please. We've got the incarnation and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's in the ascension of Jesus that we see him take his rightful place as king. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle writes about our knowledge of what we have in Christ and how he wants us to know. It says in verse 19, he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, the ascension of Jesus ties together all of Jesus' earthly work and brings that to bear on our future. We've got the life and the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, where he takes his place enthroned as our king. Rosie Moore, who's an African author, she said, a linchpin is a locking pin that holds a wheel in position and stops it sliding off the axle on which it's riding. She says, in many ways, Christ's ascension does the same thing for the Christian faith. If you think about it, it is the climax of everything Jesus announced about God's kingdom coming to earth. It is Christ's coronation, which is a big deal, if we are his subjects. And I just want you to notice this. this, I just counted through John's gospel because it's my favorite. But there are at least nine times just in John's gospel where Jesus foretells the ascension. I want you to see that in Luke chapter 24 and then again in Acts chapter 1, in the end of Luke's gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts, we're talking here about the ascension. I want you to notice as you're reading through your Bible, every place where it says that he is seated at the right hand of God, that's talking about his ascension and his enthronement. Every time that you are reading through, you see in Acts chapter 2, Peter is proclaiming the gospel On the day of Pentecost, he is preaching out of the effects of that ascension of Jesus about 10 days earlier. I want you to notice when you're reading your Bible that Paul the Apostle celebrates this and he explains Jesus' kingship through all of his letters. Uh, We've even got the author of Hebrews. He's helping apply it to our hearts. That's not to mention the reality of the ascended Christ as we see in the book of Revelation. I just want you to see that it's all over the Bible. And I want you to have confidence in his kingship. The ascension of Jesus matters because we need to have confidence that he is the one who was ruling and reigning over all things. Uh, The late Dr. J.I. Packer said, the fact that Jesus Christ is enthroned as master of the universe should be of enormous encouragement to all believers. And that's true, but the question is why? Why should it be an enormous encouragement to all believers? Well, because the same Jesus that we see all through the Gospels is the Jesus who is glorified and enthroned and ruling over all things. That means that the ascended Jesus that we now worship on the throne is the same merciful, caring, loving Jesus we see in the Gospels. It's the same Jesus who said, let the children come to me. It's the same Jesus who wept with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. It's the same Jesus who is fully human and who fully understands us and who has fully felt the pain of what it means to live in a broken world. And it's the same Jesus who felt all of the temptations as we feel and who is like us in every way but without the sin. See, that Jesus is the Jesus who ascended and is enthroned forever as our King. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you hear all of this talk of a ruler and a king and a savior and a Lord, just think, does that not sound like someone you would want to know? He's not some separated and distant king who grew up in privilege and never had to do the dishes after dinner. 
He's not some aloof ruler who doesn't really care about you as his subject. He's not some kind of king who is unacquainted with suffering and grief and the oppression of real life. He's a king whose heart breaks for the broken and who weeps for the lost and the addicted and the lonely and the orphan and the widow and the homeless. And he has compassion on the powerful who do not yet realize that their power and affluence and wealth are actually eating away at their soul. His kingship does not circumnavigate the problems of this world. No, Jesus' kingship intersected the problems of that world, of our world, that he might bring healing and hope and restoration and salvation in our midst. No, he's a different kind of king altogether. And when I see what's happening around the world and the death, and the destruction, and the greed, and the hatred, even just this week. It's my confidence in the kingship of Jesus, the ascended Lord, that sustains me. When I see the way that people put their hopes in earthly rulers, and power brokers of nations, and governments, when people put their hope in those structures as though they will fix the problems, right all the wrongs, and save them. It just saddens me because they will fail you. Yet the ascended Jesus will not. So that's why I say the ascension of Jesus gives us, number one, confidence in his kingship. He is enthroned and seated at the right hand of God, the Father ruling and reigning over his world. But second, we need to see that the ascension of Jesus gives us an assurance of our belonging. Gives us an assurance of our belonging. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the universal human longings is to belong. If you're a teenager, you feel this for real. Here's the bad news, teenagers. Um, You kind of always will. A lot of the unsettledness that we experience, even as adults, even as a father who has teenagers, it's a sense of displacement and foreignness. You know, that it's that feeling of struggling to fit in, knowing if you belong. See, the ascension of Jesus gives us the assurance of the belonging that we're looking for. See, we all long for a place to call home. We all long for a people to whom we can belong. It's the ascension of Jesus that gives us that assurance of that belonging. Let me say it this way. In the incarnation of Jesus, when when he is born, when God becomes man, we've got God coming to humanity. But in the ascension of Jesus, we have humanity going to God. See, Jesus' incarnation was not some kind of temporary thing where he like became a man, did some stuff, and then took off his humanity and went to be at home in heaven. That's, that's not how it works. He is there, fully human, fully divine, seated at the right hand of God the Father as king of all. That's where he is. That's who he is. He did not like escape his humanity when he ascended. He ascended as the first resurrected human. Jesus descended in order to ascend. It's a twofold movement. His descension and then his ascension. In one move, he comes to us in flesh. In the other move, he brings us as flesh to God. 
Christ descends in order to bring God to humanity, and then Christ ascends to bring humanity to God. And that's how we can know and be assured that now and forevermore, we have a place to belong. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may also be. See, our hearts can be troubled in life. And Jesus knows that. But see, he doesn't just know that conceptually, he knows that experientially. He knows our troubledness is the feeling of the uncertainty of the future and where we belong. And his answer to that, he says, trust me. He says, trust me, I'm going, but I'm not leaving you. I am going, I am ascending, but I go to prepare a place for you and a pathway for you to experience the full assurance of your true belonging and your true home, even now and forevermore. You're not going to be always troubled about your rent. You're not going to be always troubled about your work or your finances or your retirement fund. You're not always going to be troubled about the state of the world and the relationships that you have around you that are broken. You will not always be troubled by your unsettledness and how you don't fit in. Jesus is because I'm making a way for you to find your true home. C.S. Lewis famously, famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Now, I, I mostly agree with all of that. Let me just paraphrase it this way. If we find ourselves with a troubledness in our soul that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we need Jesus to make a way for us to be assured that we truly belong. There's a theologian named Mark Jones who's done a lot of work on Christology, what we're talking about in this series. He said, Jesus did not rise from the dead alone. He did not ascend alone. And he does not sit in glory alone. No, he rose, ascended, and sits as the husband of his bride. He took with him into glory all his people upon his breast so that we are as secure as he is in the heavenly places. Okay, what he's saying here is that in a true sense, if we're in Christ, if we've already repented of sin, we've placed our faith in Jesus, we're following him, we're in Christ, we're already home. We already belong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul's talking about this. He says that right now, presently, we who are in Christ are presently seated with him in heavenly places. He's already secured our home where we belong. It means that if your identity is in Christ, it means that if your fundamental identity of being a human being is given to you and that you have received that by who God says you are in Christ, that you have repented of sin and that by grace through faith in Jesus alone you have received salvation, that you are in Christ. If your fundamental identity is in Christ, you have an answer to your longing to belong. If you're in Christ, you have an assurance of your place in this world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Christ City, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is saying that you're in Christ, that you're assured that he has made a way for you to belong in his kingdom here, now, and forevermore. It says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So cast off your burdens. Lay down your strivings. Put off all of your desires to achieve this belonging on your own and just simply receive the promise that comes all wrapped up in the ascension of Jesus who has gone to prepare a place for us. Who is presently holding the universe together. Who presently knows the state of your heart. Receive that. The ascension of Jesus first gives us a confidence in his kingship that he is enthroned and seated at the right hand of God the Father where he rules and reigns over his world. The ascension of Jesus second gives us the assurance of our belonging that he has gone to prepare a place for us, that we are seated with him in heavenly places and that we have in heaven at the right hand of God the Father a king who is human in every way as we are yet without sin. Now look back at our text. Because we need to look third at the ascension of Jesus and how it gives us joy in our participation in his mission. Look back at our text, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you not at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, we simply cannot separate the ascension of Jesus from the mission of Jesus. We cannot separate the ascension of Jesus from the mission of Jesus. Jesus' earthly mission did not end when he ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down on his throne. See, the mission of Jesus actually kind of exploded in growth with power through the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the life of his church. The ascension of Jesus, yes, tells us that Jesus is king, and yes, that we do belong, but also that we have this joyous, purposeful work to do in every facet of our life and culture to share the good news of the gospel with the whole world around us. And just think of the setting that this text is coming from. Okay, the disciples had spent three years stumbling to try and follow Jesus. They saw him teach and work many miracles. They saw him betrayed and arrested and tried and condemned. And they saw him crucified and dead and buried. And they kind of lost their hope. And then, here he shows up. He reveals himself to them alive, risen, resurrected. And he spends 40 days teaching them about his kingdom. 
And then they see him lift up and ascend, and he gets caught up in a cloud. How surreal is that entire experience? Now, this is amazing. I think this is one of my favorite parts of the text. They're all standing there, and they're gawking, looking up at the sky, and the angels, the, the, the men dressed in robes are angels. The angels basically say, why are you standing around looking at the sky? I'd be like, uh, because I've never seen that before, and that was phenomenal. But the angel's kind of saying, cool, guys, that was cool, but you've actually got work to do. Jesus' mission isn't over. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now just hear me, without the awareness and the commission here from Jesus, the ascension of Christ, the ascension is just Jesus taking off and we just hang out and wait until he comes. But the story of the ascension here gives us no such option. When Jesus gets caught up in the cloud of enthronement, we get caught up in the joy of mission and proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have work to do. We have something to participate in. When he ascends to take his rightful place on the throne, he leaves us with the message of the reality that we are immersed in a world of people who are troubled with the sense that they do not belong. And he gives us the power, the message to tell them that he has gone to prepare a place for us. We now have the joy-filled task of telling people how to find what they have always been looking for. Jesus' invitation to us to participate in his mission, it then becomes our invitation to the watching world around us where we can say effectively, turn away from your self-salvation project, repent of your sin, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. Believe in King Jesus. He's already gone to prepare a place for you. This is the good news of the ascension of Jesus. Gives us confidence in his kingship, a place to belong, and a mission to participate in. If you're gathered together with your house church, whether you're on Zoom or in person at a park or a backyard, it's time to prepare for communion. The beautiful reality of studying the incarnation and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The beauty of studying that just comes to focus as we take a hold of the bread and the wine. The bread points us to the body of Christ that was broken as he died to atone for our sin in our place upon the cross. The wine points us to the truth that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Studying the whole life and ministry of Jesus comes to focus as we celebrate communion because through the celebration of communion, we are proclaiming the beauty of the forgiveness that we've received through the repentance of sin. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just say, don't celebrate communion at this time. But here's why. Communion right now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, is actually an invitation to celebrate what he has already done that we've received by faith. If you're not a follower of Jesus, communion's not for you, but here's what I'd say. Come to Jesus. Just stop wherever you are and just ask him. 
and just say, I want to come to you. I want to celebrate what you've done on my behalf. I want to believe. I want to let not my heart be troubled. I want to believe in God and believe also in you. Help me to do so. If that's you, you're watching this and you want to talk with somebody about it, send us an email. My email is brett at christcitychurch.ca. I'd love to talk with you about it. Because as we celebrate communion together, we're celebrating the reality that we've received salvation, the salvation that you need, that I need. We've received that because of Jesus' work in our place. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful as your people that we have this assurance of our hope in knowing that Christ not only was born and lived and died an atoning death and rose for our life, but ascended and rules over all. And in the strange times that we live, Father, I thank you for the peace of knowing that Jesus is on the throne, that he knows, that he cares, and that he's with us. Help us to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to obey the command to share the hope that we have with the world around us. And may we be fruitful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.